Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 280 for the second of Elul in a leap year. So we've been discussing the topic of boundaries, and this is the third episode where we're bringing up this topic. And we've been talking about the idea of how in a healthy relationship where everything is kind of like in check, there's a healthy sense of boundaries. There's healthy expectations. There's limits and measures on what each person is doing. There may be certain rituals that are involved that are very specified in measure and that kind of thing. And that's actually what creates a healthy dynamic is having those boundaries in check. We talked about this in terms of our relationship with God and understanding that this is why the mitzvahs have very specified limits to them, very specified measurements, whether we're talking about the length of the tzitzis, whether we're talking about the measurements of the sukkah, all of these kind of things, they all have measurements to them. And then we spoke about the, the uh, mitzvah of tzedakah. And this is where it gets very interesting because according to the letter of the law, as we mentioned, Stucca also has certain boundaries, certain limitations to it. We're told that according to the letter of the law, we must give one-tenth of our income to Stucca. And if we want to be over and above that, like if we want to do this mitzvah to the utmost degree, then we give one-fifth of our income to Stucca. But that's it. That's the limit that's imposed upon that. But then yesterday, we brought up this interesting nuance, this kind of like caveat to this rule, to this concept of boundaries. We spoke about how there might be times when it might be a good idea for us to actually extend our boundaries a little bit more than we're used to, than is called upon us. When when does this happen? This is if we've made some kind of breach in the relationship. So just like, again, to think about this in human terms, if you have a relationship with a friend or a family member or a spouse, whatever it is, if you have certain rules of engagement that you're used to, that you've set in place, that's all fine and good. But if one person does something that might uh, threaten the relationship in some way, that person, in order to rectify what they've done, it might be a good idea for them to extend their boundaries, to go over and above what it is that they uh, that that they usually the amount that they usually give and give even more. Today we're going to take that even further, and today we're going to talk about this idea of not only just extending your boundaries, but actually breaking all your boundaries in this way. So that might sound like whoa, you know. And the, what, when, how should we break our boundaries? When is this called upon us? This is in terms of giving stucca. Once again, this power of stucca is so 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 powerful. It's something that we've talked about many times in the section of the Tanya, other places in the Tanya too. It's sort of like it's the ultra. I can't reiterate it enough. It sounds like he's being redundant at this point, but he's really not because he keeps bringing it from another angle. He keeps talking about it in a new way. And the angle that he's going to talk about it today 
is this idea of this this uh, this Rav Chassid idea, this idea of this uh, this abundant Chassid that we're trying to draw down from above that comes from a place, as we spoke about yesterday, that's from a, a, a light that comes from above all of the worlds. And it's only this light that has the power to overcome any obstacles that we might have set in place through our breaching of our contract with God, of our relationship with God in some way, which as humans were more... We're, it's more likely than not that we're going to do that at some point, right? Like we usually make mistakes, which is like, okay, you know, instead of beating ourselves up about the mistakes, we can actually see them as an opportunity. We can see it as an opportunity to extend our boundaries to, to such an extent that we are able to draw down this light from above. And the way that we're going to look at this understanding of how it is that we're drawing down this Rav Chassid light through our staka specifically is because what is staka? Staka, after all, is when we are giving to the poor, we're giving to the destitute, we're giving to those in need, giving to people who don't have what we have in some way or or really are just um, lacking in some fashion. And this is really what God is doing. So it's like when we give in this way, when we give like immeasurably without bounds, extend our boundaries, just give and give and give and give and give, then God is... Um, is going to respond in kind and he's going to give to us because in relation to God, we are those paupers. We are the ones that are destitute, that are in need. So something that I want to mention here that the Tanya doesn't address at this point, but I do think it's, it, it's an interesting point that I want to mention, especially in this wider discussion of boundaries. We talked about codependence and all that stuff is like, you might be thinking this question might have come up for you. It came up for me and I'm going to address it just because it came up for me. And, and what I think the answer to the question is, is that like, isn't it the idea of giving so much? Can't that lead to codependence? Can't that lead to an unhealthy relationship where you're giving too much of yourself and you're not nourishing yourself? Like you see this often that women complain about this a lot, that they're giving and giving and giving and they're, they're not getting anything in return. They're not nourishing themselves. They're neglecting themselves and that kind of thing. So we all know that that's not healthy, right? And we all know that like people say that you need to self-care. You need to take care of yourself in order to have a healthy relationship with other people. That's the whole idea of boundaries and general. That's how we started this discussion. So the answer that I want to propose to this is that really what's happening is that when you have these people, and this might sound kind of confrontation, <laughs> confrontational, but bear with me, is that when you have, let's say you have a woman who is married to a man and she is overextending herself. She's giving and giving and giving, giving to the point of self-neglect, to the point of uh, of uh, of abuse even, you know, where she just isn't getting anything in return. I'm going to argue that that's actually not sincere giving. That is giving with the expectation of wanting something back. That's a selfish kind of giving. That is like she's giving because she's expecting love. She's expecting something in return. Or maybe it's even that her ego is bound up in the idea of giving. She thinks of herself as a giving person. And so instead of channeling her ego into taking care of herself, which is part of what God asks of us as well, she instead makes her whole identity be about giving and it becomes this kind of like magnanimity that she feels so good about herself that she's giving and giving and giving to the point that uh, she can't give anymore and then 
it's and then she's spent and then she's like oh my gosh what did I do and she feels really resentful about the whole thing so that type of giving I believe is not the type of giving that the altar of it is talking about here in the Tanya I think that the giving that the altar of it is discussing here is a much more selfless type of giving it's not about giving with the expectation of getting something in return. It's not about giving because that's your identity and that is how you feel full and good as a person. It's giving because you recognize the fact that you're imperfect. It's giving from a place of humility and it's giving from a place of recognizing that there's a God and that God is all about chesed. God is all about giving and we want to emulate God and we recognize that we that when we did something that went against his will, this obstructed the natural influx of, of God's light that wants to come down into this world. And through that, this makes us very humble. And this makes us recognize our, our mis misdeeds. And it makes us recognize what we've done. And it makes us want to rectify it. And that's why we're going to want to give is, is because it's, it's, we want to want to channel God's light. We want to um, make vessels for God's light to come into the world. And what I'd argue here is that that type of giving can never be too much. That type of giving can never leave a person feeling spent or neglected or anything like that because it's giving from a place that's more from, um, there isn't a, a compromise in the, in, in the self. There isn't, it's, it's, not, it's not coming from this like self, selfish place. It's coming from a selfless place. It's coming from a place of, of altruism. It's more altruistic. So it's not draining in the way that other love is giving. And this is a question to ask yourself just on a psychological level. If you're ever in a relationship with somebody and you're giving and you feel drained by the amount that you're giving or by whatever you're giving, you have to ask yourself, am I giving from a pure place or is there some kind of ulterior motive to my giving? If you feel drained, there's a good chance that there's an ulterior motive because true altruistic giving is not draining. It's actually energizing. It's invigorating. So that being said, so let's get into the text today and see how the altar of it explains all of this. And again, for context, we're still in the middle of Epistle 10 of Igeris Kodesh. And so the altar of it begins and he says that, okay, the main idea of tshuva comes from the heart, right? We spoke about this at length in the Igeris tshuva, which was the part of Tanya that came right before this. And so the whole idea of tshuva is that the idea of repentance, we call it in English, even though it's not a perfect translation, is that you want to, uh, you regret from the depths of your heart. And this regret causes to, um, to the, it, it corresponds to the depths of, of the supernal light. And then this, so, so it's like when we do tshuva, it's coming from an internal place inside of us. So we spoke about this, remember in, in Igar said tshuva, that people make the mistake that, that fasting is a type of tshuva or inflicting wounds upon yourself and self-flagellation, all of that stuff is tshuva. And we said, no, the main, the whole thing with tshuva is literally just regret what you did in the past and resolve to do better in the future. That's what tshuva is. However, says the Alter Rebbe, in order to draw down this light, it draw down this light that we're connecting to uh, when we do this tshuva with our heart, in order to draw it down into the world, into the higher worlds and the lower worlds as well, there needs to be an, an arousal from below a true arousal from alone, a serusa dilatata, in a way of action. So it's like, great, you feel it in your heart, that's great. But now we need to actually ground it in action. How do, how do we do that? What is this action? This is the action of tzedakah and chesed without any measurements, without any limitation at all. Just like a person 
gives over influences Rav Chesed, like the a great Chesed, uh, an abundant Chesed. So when we look at the word Chesed now, the Altar Rebbe shows us, this is very interesting, we see that the word Chesed is made up of three letters, Chet, Samech, and Dalid. So now when we look at the first two letters of that, Chet and Samech, it, it spells out Chas, which means he pities, and Dalid means he who has not. So interesting, the word Chesed actually means he pities he who has not. That's what the word literally means if you break it down in that way. Meaning to say that when we do chesed to another person, we're giving to a person who does not have, who is destitute, who's lacking in some way, right? Which makes sense, common sense, right? And um, and when you see somebody who's lacking, when you see somebody who's starving, let's say, God forbid, you saw somebody who's starving, would you think to yourself, okay, I'm gonna measure out a small amount for them. You're gonna feed them like until they're not hungry anymore. You're going to just keep feeding them, keep feeding them. You're not going to be thinking about like the limits of how much you can give to them. If you see that they really need this nourishment, this food, chances are you're going to give to them in an unlimited degree. So the same way, when we tap into this energy that we have to give to the destitute in this unlimited measure, this, so too, then God will come and God will give, will inflate, his light will, he will suffuse his light and his goodness in a way of, supernal chesed, which is called Rav chesed. This is this this uh, great chesed, this higher level of chesed. Remember in the two episodes ago, we spoke about the difference between chesed shel olam, chesed olam, the worldly chesed, and then there's Rav chesed, which comes from a higher place than the world. And this is coming from a place which we stimulate when we tap into our great chesed of this infinite giving. And this Rav chesed, this will shine forth in a way that is also unlimited and without measure to all of the worlds, to the worlds, the higher worlds and to the lower worlds. Why? Because these worlds are considered as if Dalit, as if they're they're nothing in comparison to him. So just like we see that starving man on the street that we see, wow, he's like this, the Dalit, like this, uh, pauper, this impoverished person who has nothing, that's how God sees the world. God realizes that the worlds have nothing in comparison to him. They're all dependent on him. Just like the person on the street has no food except for you or your children. You're, you have a baby. That baby is a hundred percent dependent on you. They're totally, it's, you know, they, they're, you're, they're whole, you're at their mercy. So same thing. We are at Hashem's mercy. We have nothing of our own because everything is in comparison to God is like nothing. And so this is why all of the blemishes that that a person causes um, through their sins above in the higher worlds or in the lower worlds, this is able to rectify all of these blemishes. And so now we can understand this teaching that comes from Mishle, uh, chapter 21, verse 3, where it says, that God prefers staka and justice over offering. So there's something about staka that, yes, you know, back in the times of the temple, giving korbanas, giving sacrifices was a big thing, right? But God actually prefers staka to korbanas. Why? Because the korbanas were all had a limited measure to them. There was like a specific amount of like, you know, how much to give each animal when and all of that, which is not the case with staka. So staka, there's no like limit. We can, you can give staka, you can dispense, you can spread it 
is the word in Hebrew, without any limitation in order to rectify a person's sins. And so now the altar addresses this teaching that we know, that this idea that we spoke about already, this is, and the origin of it comes from the Gemara in Ketuvot, page 50a, where it says, that a person who's giving charity should not like, uh, uh, waste is the word in Hebrew, should not waste more than a fifth of their income. So the altar says, yes, that's a real teaching, but that only is referring to somebody who did not sin or somebody who actually was able to rectify their sins through different like self-mortifications and fasts and those kind of things that are able to rectify sins. The details of that we spoke about in Yigeris Chuva in the pre- previous part of the Tanya. But somebody who still needs rectification in their soul then we know that the healing of the soul is not any less of a priority than the healing of the body, right? So it's like if you, God forbid, if somebody is, is God forbid, has something in their body that needs to be healed, money is no object. You pay as much as you need to in order to fix whatever it is that you need to fix in your body. So all the more so when it comes to your soul, right? If you know that you made some kind of mistake, you made some kind of blemish in your soul, of course you're going to spend whatever it takes in order to fix that blemish in your soul. So this is why this limitation of a fifth of your income actually doesn't apply, says the altar about when it comes to somebody who who sinned and didn't rectify their sins properly. And then the altar concludes this here with a citation from Eov, chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, And so, which means whatever a man has, he will give on behalf of his soul. So this is sort of like a counter argument. If let's say if you were having a debate with somebody who is arguing that you can only give up to a fifth of your income, the ultra counters this with the citation from Job that it's like when it comes to your soul, then give whatever you have. It's, there's no limit to it at all. So that's the end of the section. And so just to recap, again, the main basic message is just to give lots of staka. Don't worry about the limitations on it. Don't worry about measurements, only giving a fifth of it or whatever. Give and give and give and give. And think about this not in terms of neglecting yourself, God forbid, but give in an altruistic way. Give in a way that is truly just real. If And, and by the way, giving, yes, Walter well, is talking about money a lot here, but Giving can also be with other things too. Giving can be with your time, with your energy, visiting people who want you to visit them, reaching out to friends, uh, visiting sick people, uh, doing volunteer work, whatever it is, even smiling at somebody at, on the street can be an act of chassad. Uh Saying hi to your neighbor, all of these things. There's so many ways that we can do chassad in this world and you can be creative about it. And that's the idea. It's just like your whole life should really just be about chassad. That's the basic bottom line. So that's it for today. And we will continue with this epistle tomorrow. And, uh, and we're going to actually conclude this epistle tomorrow. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.